to hear from you, God. Would you look upon us, this congregation here in South Orange County? Would you be faithful to your word? Would you bring your word in power and in truth? And I pray I would literally just fade out and you would be here speaking to your children this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, when you plan a road trip, you consider the towns and the cities. Say you're going from LA to New York, you're going to plot out that course and you're going to know, okay, we're about halfway there based on a milestone or a city or a location that you've hit that lets you know we're almost to New York because we've passed this destination or this milestone on the journey. Well, the same way on the road to greatness, there's milestones on this road that you can acknowledge as 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 you're on the way saying I'm on the road to greatness cuz I'm passing through this or I've hit this little situation so we're going to bring some seven milestones today for you as you journey cuz who has really achieved greatness I would say we are all on the road but I I wouldn't say that we've arrived yet right we're always working I remember thinking when I'm an old lady I'm probably still going to be asking God to help me all the time in various areas. You don't arrive at this place of perfection, this side of heaven, right? So we're on this road, not yet achieving that greatness, but we can acknowledge there's milestones on this pathway that will mark to us, I'm getting closer. I'm on my way. I'm hitting these places. And this is showing me that I'm closer to that mark or that greatness that God has for me. Imagine for a moment that someone who was struggling paycheck to paycheck, living like desperately um, from week to week to cover their bills or, or to get through. Imagine the windfall that would happen in their life if they struck it rich with the lottery. So say they're struggling, 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 and all of a sudden this windfall hits and they are loaded. They have millions of dollars in their account that is one thing that would change. Their financial situation would change, right? One thing. But that would begin to affect probably almost every area of their life. That one significant change, that financial status could affect uh, maybe their health. We talked about them. They could hire a personal trainer. They could get more physically fit. They could then hire a chef that could prepare food for them. They could probably... They could get a new car. Maybe they have an old clunker and the car doesn't work so well. Now they can afford a brand new vehicle. They could, hopefully they don't upgrade their spouse. You know, people upgrade things that shouldn't be upgraded. So they'll probably still have the same wife or husband. These, some things will remain their same, remain the same. Their ethnicity, their height, their, um, you know, the, their personality somewhat, but a lot of things would begin to change because of this one thing, because of the financial status of their life. But you and I, that we have this access to this significant change that happens to us. Tens and millions of dollars is nothing compared to the richness of Christ and knowing Christ. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and he owns it all and created it all. He made the gold, the silver, the dirt, 
that grows everything, that supplies everything, the water to water the crops. God's power is far beyond the wealth of the world. The power of God inside of you and I is so beyond anyone's earthly wealth. No comparison to a wealthy unbeliever and a child of God. Did you hear me? There's no comparison to a wealthy unbeliever and a child of God. We have a different value system as believers. We don't just run after and take God's power to go after worldly lusts. We have a different value system. But we have to admit that oftentimes not much changes because people don't ultimately believe that this access to Christ, his power dwelling in you changes everything. We really don't believe it. And if this guy who won the windfall of the lottery and someone was telling him, you won the lottery, the money's in your account. And he's going, that's just a scam. There's no money in my account. That didn't really happen. If he lived like that, that wouldn't change anything about his life. It would just be something that he does not believe is his reality. And if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. But if you don't behold that, you won't hold it. Do you know what I mean? If you don't really believe that, that nothing will actually change in your life. We have authority. We have rights. We have privileges, but if you don't believe this, you will continue to walk and talk and act the same, trying to figure it out all on your own, just without God in it, without his power, without his authority, without access to the very things that he has purchased for you to walk in. We will just live like everyone else. God is trying to get our attention that you and I, as born again believers, are called to a greatness that nothing can touch, that the world has nothing. Nothing on this power and this authority and this promise that comes from God dwelling on the inside of you and I. When you th- see this differently, it will begin to determine your response, your actions, and your approach to this life. Imagine you're going from L.A. to New York, as I said, and you're on this route. And just like that, as we're headed to the road to greatness, there's milestones. Milestone number one is this. You must believe that God has a great plan for your life. You must believe that God has a great plan for your life. You must believe it. There's always reasons to discount yourself. There are always reasons to believe, oh no, that's true for them. That's not true for me. You know, you, your mind, that's why we need a head coach. You know, like literally a coach for your head, a head coach, because instantly God will begin to speak to you. The promises he has for you, the greatness, the, the dreams, not your dreams. Hear me. God's not as concerned about your dreams as his dreams becoming your dreams. Do you know what I mean? Many are the plans in a man's heart, but only the will of the Lord ultimately prevails. And only the will of the Lord truly satisfies in our life. You can have your plans, but God's plans ultimately prevail. But we must believe that, that, that this greatness is for us and that God has a great plan for your life. Second Timothy one nine says this, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, before the foundations of the earth, God called you, formed you and fashioned you with a holy calling. I was just talking to someone, they're saying, I feel like my life is just getting to this point where I'm finally realizing that God made me for him. 
And I've been trying to live like I was made for my own thing. And I'm starting to go, well, this is for what you made me and yielding myself more to the father and his plans and not just going about life after my plans. You know, that's a big distinction. You have to believe that he has a great plan for your life. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you don't believe this, you may oftentimes wake up and two things I say, worry and hurry. You'll wake up and worry and hurry. And that's just that ability. You wake up in the morning. You're not at peace. You're instantly up with worry on your mind. This should be a distinct indicator to you to go back and say, God, I believe that you created me for something significant. I believe you have a great plan for my life. So you don't misinterpret that the trials or the tribulations or the things you're going through as being off of God's plan, but directly correlated to his development for your life. So when you're waking up worried, you got to come back to the father. You got to recalibrate your heart and your emotions and say, I know you have a great plan for my life. I know it. I know it. I know it. And until that embeds down inside of you and it changes the way you speak and think and act. These are very fundamental things. They're very simple, but they can change the way you view things and set your life on course every day. Joy will be lacking in your life if you don't believe. You'll never achieve this great calling until you believe it belongs to you in Christ. Not according to your works, not according to your performance. I receive this great calling on my life by faith and by grace. If you woke up in faith about this plan of God, if you woke up in faith, how would that affect things differently as you go about your day? It says in John eleven forty, Jesus told Martha, did I not say to you, if you would believe you would see the glory of God, Martha, he's telling her, you must believe if you will believe you will see the glory of God. He says, if you will see it, you will see it. And he means it. When Jesus says this, he means it. That's what he means. If you'll believe, you'll see it. It's so simple. Yet we go about in unbelief and we buy a condo in the city of unbelief and we dwell there and we spend our days there and we shop there and we eat there and we talk that way. And then we wonder why we're defeated and depressed. There's greatness. You've been created for it. He purchased it for you. I wonder if he's like, come on, you don't know. I made you so magnificent. You got to get out. You got to sell the condo and move. I feel so awake in my spirit. I know that God has created me. My assignment here is, is we're pastoring, but that is not my calling. My calling as a person is to move people, mobilize people into their upward calling in Christ. I do that with my kids. I did that as a kids pastor. I did that as an administrator. I'm always just like, we gotta go. And you know what? There is statistics that show that 52% of people in any social gathering are, it's called social grouping. They don't want to change. The majority does not want to move. They want to stay, even if it's not a good place, 
even if their mindset and their life is a mess, they will not take the steps to move themselves out of that and begin to advance. But the Lord is here telling us this morning, he is mobilizing the Rock South County to be a people that don't just sit there and remain the same. You will come in this church and be like, I used to know that guy. That's a different man now. I don't know what's happened, but he is flourishing. His life is blossoming. The word of God is on his mouth. He is seeing things shift that hadn't shifted. God's word is coming to us. And he's saying, you're not to remain the same. I'm advancing you. I want to move you forward. I want you to get out of that place and onto what I've created you for. Just like he told Martha, if you will believe, you will see the the glory of God. Oh, that's, I mean, I deal with that in my own life all week long. Father, help me in any area of unbelief. And I feast myself in places that build my faith. I go back and listen to prophetic words spoken into my life and my family. I, I, I read the word of God. I envision things. I write them down. I circle them. I worship him and tell him, I see what you're saying. Oh, that, that, seems, so, that seems so big. You know who I am, you know, but you can't let the dreams just drop. The dreams, not your dreams, not, not those things. I'm talking the ones that God births an intimate time of fellowship with him. When he speaks to you as his child and says, from the day I formed you, this is how I saw you. And this is what I made you for. And you know, when he's doing that, you just, it's nothing like it in this life, but you have to steward those words from the father. You have to believe it and contend for that. Um, I was just talking to Mike Gomez. Mike is an amazing leader. He's been with us at the rock for long, long, long time. And, and I hope this is okay, Mike, but he was just declaring to me that he's got a whiteboard in his home right now. And it's got things written all over it. And every day he's waking up and seeing the things that God has said, he's leading in our kids ministry now and kids ministry is up there and he's going after, he's not just, Oh God, make it, bring it to me. God, he's contending for the things, make it plain, write the vision. He has a mighty vision in his life. And he's doing the steps today to contend for that. And that is what God is asking for us. So number one, you must believe that God has a great plan for your life. Number two, you must abandon your own plans and embrace God's plans. You must abandon your own plans and embrace God's plans. Proverbs nineteen twenty one. I just said it. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel will stand. This means that there will be ideas everywhere. There's going to be plans everywhere for you to walk in. I, when I was a college graduate, um, I walked out. I've told this story. I walked out of my, I was a, my degree is in psychology. Um, I don't, not really a, a lover of school. College was a goal that I set so that I could break off the habitual pattern I had of not completing things. That was a pattern of my life. Um, I would start a class. I would start a book. I would start a, uh, some program and just quit, 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 right? And the Lord dealt with me. And he said, if you don't get this, 
area in your life. You need to be a finisher. You got to finish things and complete things that you start. So I heard him loud and clear. So then I went to college and then I was like ready to quit like so many times. And then he's like, we're going to finish this. So I remember walking out of the psychology hall there at Cal State out in San Bernardino and I finished my last psych paper, turned it in. And I, like any good student, I took my whole backpack off my expensive calculator, all my big hefty books, and I threw it right in the trash can because I had finished what God had sent me to do. It wasn't an identity for me. I didn't get my identity from finishing college. I didn't have any, I say this, I've said this at other places, and I, I apologize to the educators in the room. College is great. I'm really for it. It's just not my identity was not wrapped up in any single thing like that, right? So, so I finished it, threw my backpack away. I drove off into the sun sunset down the 10 freeway or wherever I was. But I remember as soon as you begin to get close to finishing a degree in psychology, it's like the, 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 the faculty begins to come into all your classes and say, well, you know, you can't do anything with a psychology degree. You must go on to a master's degree. That's the next step. And, and, and the world will begin to give you its next steps, right? In any situation. But I knew, I was like, I don't feel like, I mean, I'm supposed to go on to get a master's degree. I just don't have that sense, you know? And oftentimes God will begin to trump um, what other people are telling you is the path for your life. And it, sometimes you'll have to even get up, give up things that everyone else is telling you are the right path for your life in order to be on the path that God has for you. It will look different than what everyone else is saying. And some people are so uncomfortable going against the flow, right? You don't want to answer to your parents or someone else. What are you thinking? You know, there's just this flow that the world puts you on. We do that too. As soon as someone has a baby, well, when's your next baby? As soon as you're dating, when are you getting married? When are you having kids? And there's just this flow. Hold up a minute. There's a God in heaven who has a dream here for you. And we got to check in with him. And some people just go along year after year, never stopping to say, is this still Am I still on the right path with you, God? Have you adjusted something? Have you changed anything? Is there anything shifting? And we do that, Joel and I, periodically. In fact, August was a month where we were just before the Lord saying, is there some things we need to shift? Here we are again. We're not going to just go along and assume we're always on the right path. Are you saying something different? And then letting him speak into that, you know, letting him shift things and being willing to move, which is another point. But you'll give things up to be on the right path. And you might do things that look a little different than what the world is flowing your way. You know, this American dream sometimes gets in the way of God's dream for you. We have the white picket fence. We pursue money as our source of comfort, just enough money, then I'll feel secure. But I'm telling you, when I walked out in the plan of God for my life, there was a level that just didn't hope in those things anymore. It just came into another level of trusting God, risking out, And most people don't want to live that way, but you will find God and his plans for you to be the most exhilarating thing you will ever walk in. But you must believe that he has a great plan for your life and you must abandon and embrace his plan. Joel was on staff at the rock 
He was assisting Pastor Jerry at that time as an executive assistant. We were both in Anaheim working full-time in the ministry there. And he knew something was shifting in him. It was like something was about to change. But, I mean, you're, you're on staff at an incredible church. You could just assume, this is the path for my life. This is the ministry. And, I, I mean, newsflash, sometimes the ministry isn't what God has for you. I know that sounds crazy because people think, oh, the goal is just, I want to work in the church. I want to be working on staff. And the actual opposite came to Joel's life where God was saying, I'm sending you out into the marketplace. You're going to be out from the church walls and I'm going to use you in the marketplace. And sure enough, Pastor Jerry came into him one day and just said to him, Joel, I feel like God has something else for you. And we were sitting there like, yeah, he does. And Joel went into the marketplace and began to flourish First time ever selling, I mean, he's an evangelist, so he sells the gospel all the time, but not selling a product or anything. He got into the marketplace, and sure enough, like the first year he was in sales, he was like the top sales agent. He had plaques all over the wall. We were experiencing a downpour on our family, increase coming. It was challenging. It was long days and and grueling work for him, but we knew that God had him on this pathway. And now what? We're going on six years, five years of this lifestyle of being in the marketplace. And it was like he had to abandon what we thought that would look like. He went to seminary. You're supposed to work at the church. And that now you're flourishing and you're outside of the church because God had a dream and plan for Joel. And it didn't include sitting in the office anymore. And he had to walk outside of that. Because so often we can just sit in our own little thing and think this is what works for me. And 52% of people are so grouping and just saying, I don't want anything to change. I'm telling you, we are not those people. You got to ask God some different questions because you could be in a rut because he's trying to get your attention. Yoo-hoo. Yoo-hoo. I got some things to say. I have a dream too. I have a dream too. And it involves you and I'm trying to get your attention. And you know what? The dreams of God are fully funded. Did you hear me? God's dreams, the the funds are already allocated. You're not having to strive and work. When you get in the flow of God's will, it is already fully supplied, allocated, and you just get to walk in. It is a dream come true, literally, to walk in the plans of God. I'm just here to tell you about that. Okay. The mantra in society is all about fulfill your dreams. Fulfill your dreams. Go after your dreams. That's not in the Bible. That's nowhere in the Bible. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose his life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's countercultural, but that's the truth of God's word. You mean you're going to, you mean I sign up for this Christianity thing and to walk with God and I have to deny myself and, 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 and lay, put down my dreams. Yes. And it is so amazing. And it is so wonderful. You know, I always often say that living on the other side of surrender, but that's a daily decision. You don't just arrive there. That's daily going, not my life, but your life dwelling and flowing through me, God. That's what I'm after. I'm just here to tell you the real things about about this kingdom. We're in the family business. Okay, say I'm in the family business. There is a family business. And when you're born again into this family, there's a family business and there's values. There's a value system in this family business, just like Joel's dad owned pizzerias and a lot of the family worked in the family business. And there was just 
things in that family business. Like if they ran out of pizza dough, he took the phone off the hook and no one could call in for orders. And he would hang, people would call and ask for, hey, can I order a Hawaiian pizza? He said, there's no such thing as Hawaiian pizza. And he'd hang up on people. You know, like he would be offended. He did his own things in the family, but they were number one pizza in Sonoma County. So, but this is a family business. You know, the Bible talks about in Genesis 12 that God said to Abraham, I'm going to multiply you. And what is this family business to multiply people and bless all the families of the earth? That's why God created us. He's trying to get us on board with his dreams to multiply, to be fruitful, to bless the earth, to have dominion, to, to rule, to reign. And we're just satisfied with just trudging through life, spending our days in worry and hurry. We're needed to wake up, friends. God has more for us, but it doesn't look like the pathway that you want it to be. I, I can't tell you how uncomfortable I am. I don't, Joel says, don't tell him how uncomfortable you are because I, I talk about it so much, but I know his heart because he knows me. But I'm telling you, I have never ever been so deeply dependent on the father because I'm so out of my comfort zone, the dreams and visions that he's giving me, the daily life of leading on this level, a vision of God, a church, having a family. But I'm telling you, I've never been more aware that I am dead center in the will of God and it's uncomfortable and it's stretching. And I want to say, no, use someone else. I'm telling you, if you're not These are milestones on the road to greatness that you would begin to be aware. I got to believe this. I have to abandon my own plans. We're headed towards greatness here. If you're not having these types of conversations like, have I denied myself anything lately? Am I just doing you got, these are markers. We're going back to this and saying, what's going on in my life? Am I headed towards the plan of God? Number three will say, you must continue to acknowledge your absolute dependence on God. You must acknowledge and continue to acknowledge your absolute dependence on God. Psalm 60 verse 12 says this, through God, we will do valiantly for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. David was a mighty warrior winning battle after battle. This is happening because of God. Those victories were not David. No one can fulfill a divine mandate in the energy of the flesh. You cannot fulfill God's holy calling and leave God behind. We are utterly dependent on him. Totally, utterly dependent on God. He has made everything, created everything. He is the source and strength of our life. You must acknowledge your deep dependence on him. John 15, 5 says this, without me, you can do nothing. God Almighty does not need us. In his sovereignty, he chooses to use us. He fed three million Israelites for 40 years without anyone's help. No donations, no offerings, no sparklets, water delivery, nothing but God and God alone. He is the source and supply of our life. It's not you. You're not the source of your life. I was talking to a wife one time and she's so nervous because her husband makes these risky decisions. And she was saying, I don't know if this one's going to pan out and I'm kind of nervous. What if we move? And 
I said, he's not the source. This might be a newsflash. He's not the source of your life. So why are you battling him? Go to the source. Go to the father and go in your quiet place and go to the father and say, Father, you're the source of our life. Speak to my husband. Calm my heart. Why do we go to the non-source and fight and and try and change things? We got to get to the source. Our utter dependence must be on God and God alone. He is the one. He is the one. I've seen God do miracles. We've had no jobs, no resources coming in. And we lacked nothing. Miracle after miracle. Has anyone in the room ever seen God supply supernaturally? He is faithful. He is faithful. He knows exactly what to do. We must not try and depend on ourselves or nag one another or get after the, you cannot fulfill the supernatural things of God in the energy of the flesh. Stop trying. God is not dependent on us. We are utterly dependent on him. And for some of us, this is the problem. We can't let go and entrust our world to him. We really have an inability to really deeply trust our world to him. So we walk out worried and hurried and desperately need the rest and recovery that comes from absolute dependence on God. Just coming back to him, even daily. God, it says, here I am again. Somewhere I got into worry and here I am again. But dealing with it quickly, soon as he brings it to your heart right away, dealing with it, confessing it. This is a rhythm and a dance with the father. And this is how he lives. Anna, you're, you're off on your own strength again. Can I get you back a little bit? I want to do some things here. It's just this gentle, gentle movement with him that will begin to lead your path towards his path for greatness for you and off of your own plans. I'm going long on these, so I'm going to have to begin to Rush through, but Hebrews 1 says, All things are sustained by the word of his power. We don't make the sun orbit around the moon, or we don't make it orbit perfectly so that if it got too close, we would burn up and too far away, we would freeze. We don't think about that on the daily, like, God, are you going to take care of that today? You know, how prideful this global warming thing, how much pride to think we're responsible for making sure the earth, God, is the one who created the heavens and the earth. And it is he who sustains it, this perfect order. And so we trust him on that global level to keep those things flowing. But in my little life, not my little life, you're made for greatness, but in our lives, we don't trust him. We want, we want to take that order. He is all powerful. If he has the ability to keep those things flowing perfectly, just the perfect distance so that nothing goes wrong. We can trust him with our daily lives and the things that he is working in us. Thank you, Lord. Number four, we must align our words and actions to God's plan. This is milestone number four. You must align your words and actions to God's plan. Luke 6.45 says this, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If you're called to greatness, are you talking about it? If you're called to greatness, are you talking about it? Your words will align to God's plan. If we are believing God, we should be talking about it. We should be talking about it. It will come out of our mouth, the things we're believing, and be in alignment with God's plan for our life. 
Jesus linked supernatural works with supernatural words. That is the way that God will always deal with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. He will deal with us here so often. You have got to watch the words of your mouth and let them align with the plans and the works of God. This is a big one for people, right? We sow. Everything you speak is sowing something. And so for some of us, let that crop fail. If everything that you sowed with your mouth came to be, you would be sometimes terrified, right? The things that we're saying, let's sow words that we want to birth. Let's sow things that we want to see plant and bloom in our life. Even if my mom would say to us as kids, the thing to remember, the thing to do is be the construction gang, not the wrecking crew. So she would talk to us about our mouth and that we were part of building up and not tearing down is what she was saying to us. Let's watch our mouths. Let's build. Let's not tear down because you can throw some words out that defeat the very things that God is building. That words are powerful. How forceful are right words. Don't overlook it. This isn't some hocus pocus, name it and claim it. We're, we're Pentecostal charismatics, but we're not name it and claim it. You say it. This is alignment with the word of God so that you're flowing in the same spirit that he wants to move and not negating by your doubt and unbelief and, and negativity. The very things. Watch your mouth. Amen. Watch your mouth. Number five, you must learn to obey promptly. The Rock South County, this one is the one God highlighted for us. Of all the seven, God began to hover over this one. So listen intently to what he's saying. When the Lord is revealing his plans to you, we must respond. We cannot delay. Oh God, speak to me this morning what you're going to do about it. So we'll read the word, right? Imagine this. You read the word. You have an incredible time in your quiet time. And God's speaking to you and giving you marching orders. Maybe clearly, maybe through the scriptures, just like, I'm sensing change. What's going on with my job? Or what's happening there with that relationship? So he's speaking to you. And what do you do about it? Well, Nothing I'll read again tomorrow and see if it's changes. No, we must obey promptly. We must be people of action when God is speaking. If you go to a restaurant and you order food, would you be okay if you sat there for three hours and they didn't do anything about it? No, you ordered. You gave an order. You're expecting the delivery of your food, right? So the father is the same way. He's giving us commands and and he's expecting us to respond yet we just put it in a journal somewhere and flip the page and dismiss the very word of God to our heart and then wonder why am I not hearing anything what's happening obedience radical obedience leads to the favor of God we must respond promptly obey promptly Genesis 22 1 through 3 Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. I don't know if this is a day that I would have gotten up early. Do you know what I mean? If God was telling me that this son that I had been promised and now had, that now I have to sacrifice him, 
And then Abraham rose early. That's all throughout the scriptures. It always talks about Abraham rising early. Something about that quick response, that obedient response to the word of the Lord. And he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood. This is obedience on another level. You guys, he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place God told, had told him. Abraham understood that he was in the family business. And this in this family business was serious, global, would affect the whole earth. And nothing else will touch this family business. And in this family business, the value system requires obedience. It says in Genesis 12, Abraham is called by God to follow him. He is promised the blessings of becoming the father of a great people. A large family with descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky, it says in Genesis 15.5. And the mission of his family would be to bless all the families of the earth. Pretty amazing to be in this family business. This family business has benefits for all who are called out, the church, the called out people. It is massive. And he's teaching us today on the road to greatness in this family business that we must be prompt. We must learn to obey the voice of God promptly, not delaying in these things. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says this. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. A man who excels, he or she, let's say, who, who, who excels in their work, he or she will stand before kings. Excels in the, is a Hebrew word translated mahir. Mahir. And this word means they excel, they are quick, they are prompt, they are ready and skilled. If I had a family business, I would be hiring men and women who mahir in their work. This would be an attribute that they respond promptly and quickly and obediently to what is asked of them. There's a a real sense that, that, that Satan will really use procrastination in your life. Do we have any procrastinators in there? You just think, well, I'm a procrastinator. No, it could be a ploy against you to keep you from walking out to being the called out people. Procrastination is rooted in fear and lies And it will do so much to wreak havoc. And I'm telling you right now, God is breaking off that off of your life. If you've been procrastinating or delaying in obeying the Lord, there's power coming to you so that you can walk out as his called out ones and obey promptly. No more procrastination. I want to give you an example from the word of God. King David, um, his son Absalom, had um, taken over and created a coup that was taking over. And so um, he had a lot of people on Absalom, had gathered a big group. And so King David and many had fled Jerusalem to be in exile. So then it comes a time where Absalom has died. And King David and the men and women are now returning back to Jerusalem. But as King David is coming back in and, and getting the kingdom back in, 
in order, he realizes that he doesn't like his commander in chief very much over the army. Um, his cousin, Joab, this is a family business. You see how this all, so Joab was not righteous in his position. And so King David came back in and said, I'm not going to have you here with this unrighteous behavior. So I'm going to appoint a new commander in chief over the army that I've chosen. So this is an, an incredible moment for Amasa. It says, and the king said to Amasa, assemble the men of Judah. So Amasa, another cousin of David's is now going to become the commander in chief. And David is giving him his first marching orders. He's saying, this is your first assignment in your new position. Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed procrastinated longer than the set time which David had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants so pursue, and pursue him, lest he find for himself fortified cities. Essentially what that is saying is that um, Amasa did not get back in time. He may have been having a little party with his friends about his new position. He's having a celebratory party. I got appointed to this new position. And he failed the very first assignment in this incredible opportunity because he procrastinated too long and did not show up on time and do what King David asked him to do. So Amasa gets the opportunity of a lifetime to be commander in the king's army, promoted to the highest rank, and he doesn't show up. He lost his position. And within days, he lost his life. What are we waiting for? Pastor Jerry says, don't sit on the fence. You'll get splinters. What are we doing with the things God is telling us to do? Are we delaying and procrastinating? Are we obeying promptly? A prompt obedience is a step on the road to greatness. Are we okay out there? This is the family business of God. You are an heir. Behold, you have been made new and now receiving instructions and orders from God. Jesus at age 12 knew this. What did he say? I must be about my father's business, the family business, you could almost say. This is in the heart of God. In this season, Rock South County, in your individual lives, you must be prompt to obey God. The next season requires this season to be completed. The next season of your life is requiring you to be active in this season and doing what God is saying. We believe, this is number six. And this isn't the favorite one, so we'll rush through this one quick. You must endure hardship and adversity. It's not the favorite milestone because we don't like that. Some of us think, oh, this Christian life, we sign up for this and it's just, it's the road to, to sweet and amazing things. But I'm telling you, as you walk out the will of God, people think, oh, if there's something's going wrong in their life, they must have some problem. You know how we do that to people? Oh, look at their life is a mess. They must not be on track with God. You think that, that the devil is saying to the demons, leave those people alone. They're in the will of God. Don't bother them. No, resistance comes. It comes to us as we pursue the will of God. So you'll see people dead center in the will of God facing and enduring hardship and trouble. Don't believe that kind of a, a 
false truth about that. There is a very active resistance for you as you walk this road to greatness. There will be things that come against you very strongly to distract you and, 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 and mess with you. The devil is real. I don't like to give him too much credit, but we don't acknowledge half as uh, what he was trying to attempt to do to discourage and, and, and get after your family as you walk towards the things of God. We must obey promptly. We must endure hardship and adversity. We, there is no quitting. Second Timothy 2.3 says this. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy 4.5 says this. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Hebrews 10, 35 through 36 says this, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you will, and you may receive the promise. Praise God. We must endure the hardships and trials, but you can walk through them with the Lord with you and overcome them and get on to the road to greatness. But these are milestones. Anyone need to obey God promptly, enduring hardship. I'm telling you, you're on the way. These should be indicators to you that you're pursuing out on the road to greatness. And finally, you must obey the two great commandments. If you don't love God, you won't obey him. And God will ask you to do things that don't feel good to you, inconvenient against what you would find enjoyable. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This family business is marked by sacrifice. His sacrifice on the cross compels me to sacrifice on earth. That moves me. And when we love God, we love his children. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 says this, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Hey, everyone irritates somebody, okay? You have those, everyone irritates somebody. You could have people in your life and that person's hard to love. And I'll love this person, but I don't want to love that person. But don't begin to gossip. And live small by speaking critical of God's children. If God loves them, he's saying you should love them too, right? Don't begin to gossip. In this kingdom, we walk in faith and we walk in love. First John 4.20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Jesus said to him, this, I just read this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If you love him, keep his commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's teaching us through his word what it looks like to walk, walk this path, this road to greatness. And I'm telling you, and some of it we love, some of it's amazing, but some of it's hard and marked by sacrifice and obedience to his word, even when it doesn't make sense. But I'm telling you, we want to be on this path.